and welcome to the Global Insight from Control Risks with me, Claudine Fry, a partner in our London office heading up the Global Issues team. This edition of the Global Insight is going to be an opportunity to prep you for the year ahead. We want to give you a feeling of greater readiness for events on the horizon and of what you can take away from the last year as lessons learned and hints as to what lies ahead. I'm joined for the discussion by two of our most senior and experienced broadcasters, Jonathan Wood, a principal based in Washington, D.C., and Andy Gilholm, a principal based on the other side of the world in South Korea. Sitting here in the UK where I am, it feels distinctly gloomy coming out of 2023. Pandemic times seem already somewhat distant, but recovery is proving to be painful. The economic outlook is depressed and UK voters are among billions going to the polls over the next year or so in an election which will be heavy on populist rhetoric. The B word Brexit may even make an appearance. I wonder if the mood is any different and perhaps better where you're sitting, Andy. Uh, Not particularly, no. Uh, I can't speak for the the whole of Asia for for sitting in South Korea, but um, I, I think things don't look uh, a, a great deal more optimistic and you know probably uncertainty is the the the, the keyword um a lot of elections including some very significant ones coming up in this region and actually a lot of the region looking towards the US elections for some really major determinants of of where things go for for, for people in this region um and a lot of concern about where the big drivers of the regional economy particularly china are heading this year so yeah i mean we we haven't had the same shocks that europe and the middle east have had recently but also a pretty uh, a pretty anxious mood here to to be honest Jonathan, I'm wondering how it feels from your vantage point, because you're sitting in a country with probably the most globally consequential elections by some way coming up in 2024. Does the world feel particularly fragile where you're sitting? Yes and no. I think from the political standpoint, it is still potentially combustible as we head into 2024. But on the economic front, things here in the US have turned out better than almost anybody predicted at the end of 2023. And I think globally as well, if I can strike a a contrarian note, um, we've seen inflation fall sharply. We've seen a recovery of global supply chains without a major global economic crisis uh, this year. And if anything, that's a vote of confidence in the global system that we've built and our ability to muddle through some pretty significant geopolitical and economic shocks over the last few years. Thanks, Jonathan, for injecting a note of some optimism in there into the discussion. Well, what can we take from the last year? Um, what would you identify as a particularly significant event and lesson that we can all learn from how things have played out in 2023? Jonathan? Well, let me take one that I know may be a bit controversial and happened towards the middle and end of the year, and that is the expansion of the so-called BRICS summit to include further countries. Now, I don't want to overplay, you know, that particular forum or those particular, the inclusion of those particular countries as a major geopolitical driver, but it hints at something that we see all the time and that we are speaking with our clients about on a regular basis. And that is the emergence in a more kind of tangible and institutional sense 
of this multipolar world order in which countries and companies are trying to figure out how to navigate geopolitical competition and, you know, what steps they need to take to be resilient in their politics and resilient in their operations right around the world where they're operating. And this was kind of a hypothetical or, or a theoretical construct a few years ago. You know, we knew that we were going to enter some new world order, but I think in 2023, it's gotten a lot more concrete. And, you know, that meeting suggested that there is appetite within whether we want to call them middle powers or the global south, for a new way of doing global business. It certainly attracted an enormous amount of client interest, um, didn't it? That BRICS expansion. We've had so many organizations asking us about what the implications of that expansion be. And I think it gave us an opportunity to talk about the upside of geopolitical changes that are taking place around us, as well as some of the um, the threats and challenges that companies face too. There are clearly some some uh, countries around the world where um, they are going through very, very rapid evolutions of their, of their demographic status, their demographic profile. Andy, I wonder um, if I can put the same question to you. What, what would you like our clients and listeners to take away from 2023 as a key key lesson? Well, I, I guess I'm going to be Mr. Negative again. I think it, it's the start of John's day and he's obviously had his, his coffee. So as being optimistic, it's the, it's the end of my day. So um, maybe I'm a bit more weary. But, you know, if, you, if you're asking for a kind of a, a event and, and takeaway from 2023 that there's obviously too many but one that sort of captures the the vibe for me was balloon gate uh more towards the earlier part of the year and you know that wasn't in the grand scheme of things was not a big deal in itself but i think it's emblematic of um just how unpredictable and at times overwhelming the geopolitical environment has become for a lot of our clients who are you know trying to deal with what's coming at them day to day week to week and and also a bit of a sort of cautionary tale for humility when we do you know these looks at the year ahead because i think coming into this year 2023 um fair to say nobody thought they were going to be waking up one day um, to, to headlines about what was suspected or alleged at the time to be a, a Chinese um, suspicious balloon. And, uh, you, you know, the, the, the narrative at that point was, you know, 2023 will be the year um, China is, is coming out of zero COVID. There's going to be a huge consumption bounce back maybe there'll be a period of um of stabilization in in us china ties um and of course these narratives keep flipping um if we if we think of where the narrative has gone on on china or you know looking back to that you know emergence from the pandemic we went into 2020 not expecting what would happen and then the narrative was you know covid is an existential threat for for China, a few months later, China was relatively in control, and it was this, uh, you know, huge threat to the rest of the world. And then by 2022, uh, you know, the focus was back to China, where the countries had had emerged, and people were saying that the the zero COVID policy was unsustainable. We got the, the exit for that, and it, there was the panic about an exit wave. Then back to these positive assumptions 
part, half of this year, we've heard about, you know, peak China and, uh, you know, a new level of concerns about the economy. So it's really all over the place. And a lot of clients just struggle to, not so much to keep up with that, but struggle to step back from it and not be constantly just driven by the news cycle. We see the same thing with Ukraine, right? Um, that at the start of the Ukraine conflict, the the consensus was this is going to be over in days or weeks, and you know Russia will have will have taken Kiev, and then uh, you know a few months later, Ukraine had obviously confounded all those expectations, and we got the hopes for the counteroffensive. We had that whole episode this year which I think a lot of us had almost forgotten about with what's um, all, all the shocks of recent months. But we had the episode with uh, Prigozhin and the Wagner march towards Moscow. Uh, and now at this point, going into the, the end of the year, we've had this surge in the viewpoint that you know Russia is back in the ascendancy and is going to, to, to kind of outlast or, or outmanufacture Ukraine in 2024 or, or hang on for a, for a second Trump administration to save them. These things are just a, a sort of sobering reminder of how quickly the narratives change and how fast uh, the news cycle kind of overtakes us. So uh, just a little, uh, I guess, precautionary note about, um, you know, where we might be a year from now is, you know, how, how wrong a lot of people were about where they thought we would be, you know, a, a year ago. Awareness of political, country, and economic risks underpin your organization's ability to protect value and mitigate shocks. Whether you need consulting on a particular project or longer-term strategic, analytical, and forecasting resources, we can respond to your requirements face-to-face -face or through our online platform-based solutions. For more information, follow the link in the podcast notes. And I'll just add uh, a further reflection from my side on the last year. I think it's been a reinforcement and a reminder of the importance of prioritizing uh, geopolitical risk, particularly through the period of history that we're living through. Geopolitics is evidently driving pretty much every other kind of risk that companies are encountering around the world. And I think this would be the precisely the wrong time to take your eye off geopolitics. I think there's a danger that we've become relatively immune to shocks, particularly compared to, say, 2019 before the pandemic. But certainly um, Ukraine has already, for example, drifted somewhat away from the front pages uh, as, as we approach the second year anniversary of, of Russia invading so I think absolutely vital to, to keep geopolitics front of mind. We know a lot of companies have set up committees and, and established very effective frameworks about how they manage geopolitical risk, but not everybody has. And actually, there are many, many issues uh, that are going to be coming up uh, 2024 and beyond that will be exceptionally difficult to for governments to navigate, but also for companies to navigate, just thinking specifically, for example, about the implications of the Ukraine conflict on the EU and NATO and how those institutions will negotiate the possible expansion of their organizations to include Ukraine and other countries. And also, of course, um, how the Middle East revisits a what was a fledgling rapprochement between different countries in the region in the aftermath of um, the Israel-Hamas conflict. So keeping an eye on geopolitics, uh, because there is so much left to unfold um, from a geopolitical 
perspective and remembering. I think 2023 has reminded us, particularly over the last few months, that companies are going to be held up to account for the positions that they take. You know, we've seen just in the last few weeks, haven't we, a number of companies struggling internally and externally with how they have um, managed or as they are perceived to have mismanaged their positioning on Israel Hamas. Uh, And so clearly companies need to be very, very conscious of the fact that they will be held up to account for the positions if they take, even if in their view, um, they are staying neutral and trying to avoid taking any position at all. Let's focus now then on 2024 and and specifically the 12 months that uh, lie ahead. Jonathan, what do you think is the most important uh, issue, trend or event that companies need to be watching very closely, particularly if it's one that you suspect might actually be rather underreported? I think one thing that companies will have to pay much closer attention to in 2024 is an incipient onslaught of sophisticated misinformation fueled by generative AI, which has become widely available and extremely capable in its applications, both text, but also audio, video, imagery. And 2024 will be the year in which many companies, maybe for the first time, find themselves targeted by or dealing with misinformation, disinformation campaigns that move markets, that impact their employees, and maybe that impact the policy and regulatory environments in which they operate. Jonathan, I know we've pulled together our wild cards, our top, our list of top 10 wild cards uh, to watch out for next year. And we had misinformation playing a role in the US election at the top of that list. Talk us through your thoughts on that. I mean, misinformation will play a role in every political dynamic going forward, I think, but it has the potential to be decisive in the US in a way in which some of the other big elections in 2024, perhaps not. And that's because our election this year, just as in the last few cycles, is going to be very closely fought and come down to a small number of states and even electoral districts, you know, so we're talking about thousands or maybe tens of thousands of votes deciding the outcome of the election. And that is something that is vulnerable to a sophisticated misinformation campaign, something that either tries to suppress voter turnout or influence who they vote for. We're going to see that. And our defenses are not insignificant, but we know the role in our country very intimately as it happens that misinformation and disinformation can have on the electorate. Turning now to East Asia, Andy, What do you think, sitting over where you are, I know you spend a lot of your life talking to clients about Taiwan, but I wonder if that's going to be top of your mind for 2024. Is there another area of focus that you think clients should have as they prepare? Uh, Well, Taiwan is certainly top of mind as we start the year because the um, elections there are only about three weeks away as as we record this in uh, mid-January. And there's a lot of attention there. Um, But, you know, that's just one of the issues. There's a lot of elections coming up in the region, Southeast and South Asia, as as well as my 
corner of the region. But I guess in general, it's just worth mentioning that with all the very necessary focus on events in, in Europe and the Middle East recently, there is a danger that some of the potential big global flashpoints that could be even more impactful are, are still bubbling away rather concerningly in this region. And there's been a lot of movement on them in 2023 that might have gone under the radar. So, you know, that includes developments over over Taiwan, um, where we've had a couple of mini crises in the last 18 months, and it wouldn't be very surprising to have another one in 2024. But also, you know, on the Korean Peninsula, we've had ICBM tests, satellite launches by both sides, a uh, relatively new government in, in, in South Korea that might be, respond more robustly to anything coming out of North Korea in 2024, which doesn't like to be ignored in a US election year. Uh, we've got a potential standoff um, bubbling away in the South China Sea between China and the Philippines, which could also uh, draw in the US. So there's an awful lot going on in terms of potential flashpoints. And if you think about the impact that the recent issues in the Red Sea have had or issues in the Black Sea have had, that would kind of be dwarfed potentially by a crisis in the Taiwan Strait or the South China Sea in terms of the amount of global trade and global growth um, in in those regions. So that's obviously something to, to make sure uh, that, w- that we follow closely. And that's not even getting into the, you know, the less security-related flashpoints and escalation points, you know, the, the wider outlook for the, the US-China relationship. So I think definitely worth keeping a close eye on, on this region as we go into the new year, even if it's been overshadowed by other regions in the past year. Andy, you mentioned the Red Sea and, and, and clearly we're departing this year with serious violence unfolding uh, still between Israel and Hamas and the prospect, meanwhile, of regional escalation or of um, spillover into disruption on sea routes in the Red Sea uh, as a consequence of what's happening between Israel and Hamas. Jonathan, how do we anticipate the situation unfolding over the next few weeks and particularly the early part of 2024? Well, these attacks by the Houthi movement in Yemen on shipping in the Red Sea underscore as have a series of geopolitical shocks in recent years, that there are critical points in the global economy, in global supply chains that are vulnerable to geopolitical events. And one thing that we have seen many companies tackle over the last year is really taking a detailed look at where their exposures are to these types of events. Who do they rely on? Who are their suppliers? Who are their supplier suppliers? Do they have enough power? Uh, could they be impacted by a conflict? Uh, what regulatory issues might be coming up that could take a supplier offline? And it's that level of understanding that I think this, uh, the, the current threat to supply chains in the Red Sea, you know, reinforces as have many other incidents in recent years. They also show us that supply chains are flexible, adaptable, resilient. Shipping can reroute. There are costs and time associated with that. Yes. But, um, there's not a, uh, you know, kind of full hard stop shock. 
that is coming out of this particular security crisis. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that resilience, diversification, these continue to be key watchwords as we head into 2024, both for countries, but also for companies. And that course, that work to map out your supply chain vulnerability is also a vital part of understanding how the US-China relationship and the way that plays out might impact on your organization. And I don't think we can record this podcast without giving some attention to that critical relationship. There's been some comparative optimism in the air around the status of the US-China relationship in the aftermath of Presidents Xi and Biden meeting on the sidelines of APEC uh, in the United States a number of weeks ago. Did you share that sense of optimism about the significance of that meeting? And, and how do you think that that relationship is going to play out in 2024? I think, you know, most likely um, that will turn out to be, you know, kind of a blip on the, the generally negative trend. We might end up seeing that 2024 in relative terms is sort of a, a year of relative calm before potential future storms, because I think both sides have bigger concerns right now, mostly domestically, but in the US case also internationally, and don't really want a a major escalation or confrontation. But there's so many potential triggers for, you know, new uh, surges in in, intentions, and none of the underlying drivers have really been addressed and probably not going to be. So I think it's only a matter of time before we see the next phase or you know, the next uh, cycle of, of tit-for-tat actions and, and, and escalation. Um, and it's worth bearing in mind, again, one of the things that might have been missed or forgotten from 2023 was that whilst we avoided any major crisis in the US-China relationship, unless you count events surrounding um, Taiwan in in April, um, there's been a kind of incremental sort of signs of potential things to come. So for example, with the the procession of, you know, tightening of US export controls throughout uh, this year and last year, China's also stepped up its response. So we've had the first use of China's unreliable entity lists, listing foreign companies. Um, We've had the first use of its kind of China's export control law, limiting uh, exports of critical minerals that China dominates the production and processing of. Uh, We had the first announced investigation of impunitive action over national security related looks by China's cybersecurity administrator of, um, of an American company. So I think all of these things are, are very calibrated signals that China, if and when really the next cycle comes, China can and at some point will push back harder. And of course, it's um, it's it's multinational companies that will be caught in the crossfire when that happens. I think another key issue to have uh, top of mind as we enter 2024 is heat. It's been a really interesting feature of uh, our meetings with clients recently that heat and the temperature of the world is starting to become a very urgent issue to address from an operational perspective. Uh, But we are on track to have yet another record-breakingly hot year and all the implications of that uh, are starting to be felt, of course, right across the world. Uh, and, And we are seeing 
the geopolitics playing into the way that companies are responding to the challenge and opportunity thrown up by climate change, of course, as well. So clearly an enormous amount going on. And, and we flagged as one of our top risks in our risk map this year that risk overload is a real and present danger for risk management teams, but also I think for all of us more broadly, it's very easy to feel overwhelmed by the amount of challenges that um, we face. What can we do? What can we do to stay grounded and to cope and to navigate through this period of history successfully? We've already mentioned a number of different things in the course of the discussion, haven't we? Um, Jonathan and Andy, we've talked about scenario forecasting. We've talked about mapping out your supply chain. We've talked about making sure that you are not being swept up in the news and you're maintaining a sense of perspective and having an accurate source of information at your disposal. But if you had to pick one thing um, to make sure everyone has in their toolkit, what would it be, Andy? Well, you know, ju just recognizing that the, the limitations of forecasting and, you know, whatever the, the pundits are saying this week is, is a pretty good start. But what most of our clients and what we've been doing for a very long time comes back to you know good old scenarios and having assumptions drivers that underpin your expectations and do your planning and your decision making based not just on a forecast but on a scenario that you that you update or, or shift over time based on on what's happening um and having plans for more than one scenario and if there's anything that you know we've learned from the sheer sort of pace and complexity and, and range of developments that have been hitting companies in the last few years. It's the value of doing that and seeing the difference between, you know, going back to the, I think it was a Martin Wolf book a decade ago, the, the shifts and the shocks, you know, we're, we're simultaneously seeing these, these big fundamental long-term shifts in in the geopolitical order, in technology, in climate, in, in in cultural environment, interspersed with all these shocks and catalysts, and being able to distinguish them and not take your eye off the long term when you're dealing with the short term shocks, and you know having a, a strategy and some some principles that you're basing your responses on, not just reacting. I think is really important because you know we, we've seen these backlashes and these shifts in the narrative. And companies that are too reactive and jumping on things to try and be on top of it um, without going back to s some underlying principles and, and, and assumptions and, and scenarios for a more strategic approach. I think they're the ones who are tending to, to, to have problems in this fast-moving environment. And I'd like to put a word in for multidisciplinary, interdepartmental, holistic approaches to looking at these problems. One thing we've seen many clients try to do as they stand up a geopolitical risk function is really bring in roles and people from right across the organization to get a broad range of expertise and capability in these types of discussions to really understand how geopolitical risks impact strategy, operations, security, health and safety, reputation, legal and compliance risks right across the board. And uh, that's a very positive development. It's great for resilience. It's great for uh, ensuring that a diversity of views are represented. And it's one thing that I hope we see more of in the year ahead. Thank you both for joining uh, this year end edition of the podcast. It was great to have you on and I'm sure you will be, be appearing many more times uh, in the coming weeks. But for now, thank you very much, Jonathan. 
Always a pleasure and happy new year to you and to all of our listeners. Andy, thank you too. Great to have you on from South Korea. Thanks, Claudine. Thanks, everyone. If you liked what you heard on this episode of The Global Insight, make sure to subscribe. And don't forget to check out our other podcasts as well, like Decrypt, featuring our experts from across the world making sense of the cyber and technology issues impacting business. As always, thanks for listening.